it about a week ago, and then he even gave me an out this morning. So he very much did not make me do it. Um, so hopefully throughout our course together, we get to hear a lot of stories about each other's lives and what God has done. So I'm just going to give you um, a little one today. So I grew up in a Christian home. Don't know exactly when I received Christ. It was when I was little. And kind of continuously as you're little, you remind yourself of that. And so, but there's very profound moments in my life where he became more real or there's a specific truth I learned about him. So there's lots of testimonies about that throughout uh, my life. So I'm going to give one of them now. So made him more and more my own in middle school and high school. And, and then this one's about when I was in college. So my first year of college, you know, grew up knowing God, learning about the Bible, believing that the Bible is the true word of God, and also being a pastor's kid and going to um, a Christian middle school, having a lot of friends from different denominations, also knowing that the word of God is interpreted many different ways. And my parents were open about talking about, okay, so this church thinks about this, and this is what we think, and that's okay, and da 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 And so knew the idea of interpreting God's word, but really wanted to know it for myself. So started reading through Paul. Paul and I were not good friends first year of um, college because I'm a woman, and I come from, you know, a family with very strong women and very God's calling on, on lives in women. If you just read through Paul, it's really hard to reconcile not being second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. But God, the God I knew wasn't that. So then I'm trying to figure out, I don't want to just throw out the Bible because that's not what I believe, right? And so, and I'm very, I was very fine at that point of saying, okay, different people have interpreted it wrong. That's no problem for me. You know, the, the church has definitely gotten a lot of things wrong throughout history. But I wanted to really reconcile what the Bible is actually saying. So I, I'm not, this is not a theology talk right now. But I was struggling with that during the day and really having these conversations and really kind of being mad at God. I tried to, like, focus on St. Paul and being like, you know, I'm not a big fan of this guy. But I knew his truth was from God, right? So I couldn't really not also be mad at God. Like, I don't get this. I know you love me. I know you have a calling on not just my life, but half the population of the world. And I know this isn't the God I know, you know? It's not the God I know that we are second-class citizens in in his kingdom. But I don't know what to do about this. So it was a big struggle, right? Um, But in the midst of that, he was also my comforter. It was this very odd combination where I'm having this theological discussion with God and sort of annoyed with him and I don't get it and mad and all that. And yet at night I'm like, God, I love you and I know you love me. And he would come on me with this peace that passed all understanding. And that word, the understanding is huge. I didn't understand. I didn't understand, you know, and that is not the point. It's not a religious. We're we're not in a religion. We are in a relationship. And that relationship can continue to be strong in the midst of struggle, in the midst of not understanding things, in the midst of seeing, not seeing the goodness of God. Doesn't make sense in our life, but that is not what this relationship is about. It's about a relationship with a God that walks through it, walks through each step of our lives and the lives of those around us, no matter what we see on the outside, no matter what we understand, no matter what we believe. And that was a good foundation for me. Um, I eventually got through the theological stuff, but that, you know, that was less important than the lesson that no matter what I believe in my head about God or don't understand about God, he's still God and he still loves me and he's still my comforter. He still sends the peace that passes all understanding. Something like that. What did you go on to do, Sarah? What's that? About just in life? Oh. Well, I'm a doctor, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm a Right. Yeah. Very much so. Thank you. Not because you're a woman, but <laughs> because you're a parent. Oh, I forgot the last part of it. So, so obviously, like, great theologically, and and I knew God had a great calling on my life secularly, but we don't live in secular and 
in spirituality. It's all one, right? So there's always putting that together. But he brought me not just a great husband who supports me in what I do, which is obviously huge, like you said, you know. Um, you needed somebody that would support me to be a doctor, which is what God called on my life. But that is more of secondary than he brought me a man who's not only called to be a pastor or, or a man of God, but who specifically has a calling on life to break the chains that the church and other people have put on women and really bring them out and allow them to fulfill their calling in God's ministry and God's calling on their life. Like that, I mean, we should all be that way, but like he's specifically, not because of me, but just because of his own calling in life, which is awesome, and I don't think it's a coincidence we have two little girls either. Yes, so the kids are welcome to go to Sunday school if they want to. Thank you, Sarah, very much for sharing. And I'd like to continue to do a testimony every week, more or less. So if you guys have something you want to share, Sarah sent me a list of like five. She's like, pick one. Um, because we all have a bunch of stories that we can share about God, right? Um, so just let me know. Um, I let the cat out of the bag a little bit earlier, but anybody know what Tuesday is? Halloween. Halloween. Also, Halloween. Reformation Day. All Saints Day is mon- uh, the 1st, November 1st. Oh. November 1st. And so the day before November 1st, which is a big holy day in the Catholic Church, um, was All Hallows' Eve, which is how we get the term Halloween, um, because All Hallows' Eve, Holy Eve, the day before All Saints' Day. Um, so that's where the word Halloween comes from. The tradition of Halloween comes from uh, the festival of Samhain, which was a Druid thing. Um, it was pretty demonic and not good. Um, so, you know, boo Druids. Um, What else? What else do you say? Um, I, I am not. I do not approve the Druids' message. Um, but uh, All Saints' Day was a big day of the Catholic Church. It was one of those kind of holy days where everybody would go to church, right? And so the day before that, on All Hallows' Eve, Martin Luther decided this would be a good day to make my big protest against the Catholic Church. And this happened exactly 500 years ago on Tuesday. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And whether we consider ourselves Lutheran or not, we all, have, we all owe a lot to Martin Luther um, for what he did and the, the ground he was able to break. He wasn't the first reformer. He was the first one who didn't get killed. There was Hess and Wycliffe and a number of others. They were just all burned at the stake. And some of them were burned at the stake and then 10 years later dug up, beheaded, and burned at the stake again. Um, that's a true story. Um, because the church hated them so much that they had to kill them three times. Um, I think that was Hess. Um, And so Luther had a lot to lose. He didn't really expect to survive the whole Reformation thing. But he nailed 95 theses, or 95 things against the church, all of which were scriptural-based, because he looked at his church and he said, this is not right, this is not good, this is not what I see in this book. And he got inspiration from Jesus. Well, duh. Um, Of course he got inspiration from Jesus, but he got inspiration from how Jesus treated the Jewish religion when Jesus showed up on the scene. Because by the time Jesus showed up in the first century, um, the Jewish religion had really devolved into mostly legalism. It wasn't so much about your relationship with God. It wasn't so much even about God himself. It was about a list of do's and don'ts. Do you follow the list of do's and don'ts? You've got to do all these things. And the, the, their list was immense. There's like 740 laws. It's insane. Um, are you following all these laws? Are you doing all the right things? Are you not doing all, all the things you're not supposed to do? And that is what makes you a good Jew or a good follower of God. And Jesus showed up and said, actually, no. That's not the thing. Um, the thing is, are you in right relationship with God? 
not are you following all the lists of do's and don'ts. And so he, obviously he made a big change, and within the Christian church, things were great for a while, but over time they de-evolved as well. And so then fast forward to around 1500, or 1517 to be exact, um, 500 years ago, Martin Luther was in a place where, in his opinion, the church had gone the same way as the Jewish faith had gone. It had gone completely into legalism. It's all about a list of do's and don'ts. It doesn't have anything to do with God anymore. And it doesn't have anything to do with scripture anymore either, which was a big problem for him. The church at that time, and understand when I talk about the Catholic church in this context, I'm talking about the Catholic church 500 years ago, not like St. Tim's or whatever, okay? So, because although Luther's Reformation led to people leaving the church and starting the protesting church or the Protestant church, um, eventually the Catholic church itself underwent its own Reformation. And they came to most of these same truths themselves. Okay? And although, and that's the very true of the Catholic church in America by and large. Um, the Catholic church in other parts of the world, like we heard from Wilson last week, how the Catholic church in Brazil is very different. And, and we would not recognize it as being a Christian place at all. Um, but that's different. So we, we have to be careful to, to walk the line of pointing out truth and falsehood, but not talking negatively against our brothers and sisters, right? And sometimes that can be a tough road to walk. Because I, I don't mind Kaylee saying, Andrew's wearing his shirt backwards. That's okay. That's okay. Kaylee can say that. That's pointing something out that's true. But I don't want her to say, Andrew's stupid because he put on his shirt backwards, and he doesn't pay attention to anything. That's bad, right? That's going too far. I don't like my kids to do that. God doesn't like us to do that. That's not the sermon, but I just wanted to say that. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's a good <laughs> testimony. Um, and so this, Luther's experience in the Catholic Church wasn't that. <laughs> kind of like different but good experience. Uh, his, he was a monk, so he was very much in the Catholic Church, right? Um, and his experience was tradition is more important than scripture. What the Pope says is more important than what God said in the Bible and salvation is reached through the priests. In order to get saved, you have to go through the priesthood. And that was true in Old Testament under the Old Covenant, right? The people of Israel would go through the priests who would provide sacrifices on their behalf. The people would provide sacrifices, and there, there was always wine, and there was always bread, and then occasionally you'd kill animals and that sort of thing. And God pretended that worked um, for the sake of people being able to get close to it. Um, but you had to go through the priest. That was the only way to do it. And the new covenant is different. We talked about that in communion. The new covenant is now through Christ's blood, and we all have access to that. But at some point along the way, the Catholic Church, which was the only church, so the church, right? There wasn't other options in Western Europe, certainly, um, had gone back to this thing of you have to go through the priesthood. And it has to do with control. They wanted control. And when, historically speaking, we're going to do a little history this morning. Hopefully you, don't, you aren't too allergic to history. But um, uh, when, when the Christianity became the state religion of Rome under Constantine, um, they made a lot of changes to the faith. And, and so not all of those were good. 
One of them was women obviously can't do anything anymore. That's ridiculous because, duh. Um, so women now had no place in the church, no more leadership roles, no more anything. They couldn't even speak. And that's what led to the monastic movement beginning. It began first with women, nuns, wanting to serve God and wanting to be a part of what it was and wanting to do the stuff in here that the church wouldn't let them do. So they left and went out to the desert to do it by themselves. And eventually some guys saw this and was like, that actually looks pretty cool. I'm going to do that too. And so then you had monks as well. Um, and Luther came from that tradition down, down the road. Um, and so that's just one of the not so good things the Catholic Church did. Another one was they took control of everything. People don't have control of stuff now. The state has control, and we're going to decide who the bishops are because we know more than you because you're dumb. You're just people. Uh, now, in their weird defense, they knew how to read, and so they could read the Bible. Nobody else did. They were educated. Nobody else was. And so in their minds, they were the proper governors of the church as well as the state. Um, and things just sort of toppled downhill from there. Power corrupts, Right. We all know that. And so the power, the church then became all about control. And so it's like, all right, how do we control the masses? Well, we force them to do certain things. You have to go through me to get to God. If you want salvation, you got to go through me. And not just showing up to church and taking communion and doing good stuff, but also these things called indulgences, which was if you want to reduce your time in purgatory, which was another problematic theology they had this purgatory thing you know what purgatory is probably like purgatory was this is is this idea that if you die without having done enough good stuff to get to heaven you spend x amount of millennia potentially in this no man's land purgatory where you sort of work off your sin and then you can go to heaven eventually um totally not in the bible totally against the theology of the cross, okay? Um, just to be clear, purgatory boo. Um, so, um, but they were very big on purgatory because that was part of the control thing because they were able to say, oh, do you want to get grandma out of purgatory? Nana's being tortured down there. It's so sad for Nana. You can pay X amount of dollars and that'll give you an indulgence that'll reduce her amount of time there because we need to build a new basilica. And some evil, evil human being came up with this idea that, you know, ta we're already taxing the crap out of everybody. You know, another tax we could do? We could do a spiritual tax on people who really care about their families, and we can exploit that by saying, Nana's so sad down there. You should pay some money, and so maybe don't feed one of your kids quite enough, because these are poor people, because everybody was poor people, right? Um, and you can pay some money, and you can get them out. Um, the, the famous the famous line from the, the indulgent seller that Luther connected with, he would say, John Tetzel, he would say, every time a coin in the coffer springs, or rings, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And it was, it was so poetic. And he collected a bunch of money. A lot of the money he took for himself. Another thing the priests would do is they would get bribes. To, to, so it was just, it was wholly corrupt. And most of it didn't resemble the Bible at all. It didn't resemble Christianity at all. It almost had nothing to do with Jesus. Um, people would, they would withhold communion from people who they decided weren't cool, so you don't get communion, like ever. And in the Catholic Church, communion, like, meant salvation, so you're not saved. It was bad, okay? So Luther was like, ah, this is insane, this is insane, I hate this, but what do I do? It's, it's the church. There are no options. I can't go down the road to the better church and hang out there. Like, there aren't any other options. There are people who've tried to do things in the past. They're all dead. And at, at first, Luther didn't actually know that some of them were right because he was told they were heretics, and so he just assumed they were. And eventually, someone gave him some of the writings of John Hess and some others, and he read them. He's like, he was actually right about some of this stuff. Crazy. Um, and so Luther had a, had a profound experience with, with the Holy Spirit who said, you need to do this, man. You need to do it. I'm calling you to do it, period. And he was like, all right. And so he spent a couple years searching the scripture. We're going to look at, at the, the main one he looked at. And he said, the, what, the, what the church is doing now is totally against the Bible. It's totally against what God intended. And, and it's destroying everybody. It's, it's horrible, horrible. We have to do something. So he wrote up these 96, 95 ways in which the church is totally against the Bible. He nailed it to the door of the cathedral. 
um, the, more, the night before everybody was going to show up, everybody saw it, including monks and professors and, like, important people in the church, right? And he signed it. You know, he was not a, not a timid person. You know, he signed that sucker. And he spent the next couple years being dragged by chain from place to place, uh, going to different courts that would try to try him and eventually execute him for heresy. But he would stand on the Bible every single time and said, this is what the word says. What am I supposed to do? And they'd be like, yeah, it's really hard to cut off your head right now because, like, we can't say you're wrong. And, and, so, and so they, they tried to assassinate him. The church literally hired assassins to kill Luther. I mean, it, was, it would make a good movie. There's actually a new movie coming out soon about it. Um, and so that was Luther's situation. And so he said, we need to change this. And that started what we call the Reformation. And Luther had a number of primary tenets, um, one of which was the priesthood of all believers. This idea that you don't have to go through a priest anymore to get to God. We are all priests. And this is in the Bible, multiple places, right? We are all priests now before God. And so each and every one of us are responsible for our own spirituality. Someone else isn't responsible. We can't pay someone to talk to God on our behalf. We are responsible for going to the Lord on our own. And he's the one who gives us salvation, not some dude with a fancy robe. It's only from God. Um, so this idea of the priesthood of all believers was big. And eventually, Luther took this to pretty cool levels. He, he, he was a big proponent of small groups and meeting in homes. And at, at eventually, he said, we, we shouldn't even have um, baptism services in churches anymore. Why do that? Just baptize them in your small groups and do communion in your small groups. And people just weren't ready for that. So none, none of that ever happened, <laughs> to my knowledge. He talked about it, but people were like, whoa, man, like eight steps is far enough. Ten is just, we can't handle that. Um, and so some of, his, some of his ideas and reforms never got put in place. Those are some that I would like to, because if you talk to a lot of, especially real high church traditional Lutherans today, the idea of doing communion anywhere outside of church by an ordained minister is like, no, that's sacrilegious. You know, and I've been in those contexts and been like, have you read the guy? Like, no, like, whatever. Anyway, don't speak negative about your brothers. Remember that, Nate. Um, open up your Bible, please, to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at the, the bedrock verse of the Reformation and why Luther just couldn't let it go. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So the church had become a list of do's and don'ts, very legalistic, religious, much like Jesus had experienced in the first century. Um, but the primary problem was they got the whole salvation thing totally wrong. Okay? In, in the church at that time, the way you got saved was you did good works. And those good works were the things that were defined by the Catholic Church. Do these things. Okay? Some of them were religious, you go to Mass, you take communion, you do confession, you say certain prayers to Mary and, and other kind of prayers, um, you give money, and, and there were certain things you had to do. Some of them are religious, some of them are less religious, but salvation was in totally in the proximity of the priest, um, and that's how you got saved was by doing good works, and pause for a second. Isn't that what most people think today? Non-Christians, let's, let's not get into the whole church thing right now. But if you ask most people, how do you get to heaven? Well, you, you, you're good, if you're a good person, you do good things. You do good things for people. That's how you get into heaven. That's what most people say, most non-Christians say. A lot of Christians say, I just try hard to be a good person. You know? Or they'll say, I try hard to be a good Christian. And if you ask, what does that mean? They'll give you a list of do's and don'ts. Just like the Catholic Church. Well, I go to church and I pray and I do this. It has nothing to do with Jesus or the cross. It's just a list of do's and don'ts. It's all religious. Um, and that's, that's obviously not good. Now, are we saved? Do we get to go to heaven by being a good person? Obviously, Sunday school question, right? No, that's not how we get into heaven. There's only one way to the Father. And that's through Jesus the Son. right? And that's what the church had lost sight of. They had lost sight of the one most important thing in the entire Bible. Jesus. They had lost sight of Jesus. They lost sight of the cross, the most important moment in human history. 
They had lost sight of the importance of that and the fact that everything in this book points to the cross. Everything before it points forward. Everything behind it points back. It's all pointing at the cross. And they sort of just went, well, whatever. The cross was good. That was a good part. But you needed all of these good works. So Luther hammered this verse in, literally hammered it into the door. Um, but he also hammered it into everybody he talked to over the next you know, 20 years. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And I'll stop there. So that says it pretty emphatically, and it then explains it even more, just in case you didn't get it. Right? Um, I'm gonna, are there any markers over there? Or are we markerless? Okay, we, we can have an imaginary whiteboard in our head. Um, so ju- let's just look at the verse with your eyes. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. So how are we saved? By grace, through faith. Now, where does grace come from? God. Does, does grace come from us at all? No. So grace is 100% from God, Right. So we're saved by grace through faith. Where does faith come from? From God. Faith is a gift of God as well, right? And so grace is 100% from God. Faith is 100% from God. So we are saved by grace through faith. So that's 100% from God. So how much of that is from us? Zero. There's nothing left. It's all God. God saves us, period. We do absolutely nothing for salvation. We don't decide I'm going to be saved today and be saved. That's not how it works. God saves us. It's 100% him. The grace comes from him. The faith that we have to believe comes from him. It all comes from God. And just in case we didn't get it, he's like, this is not your own doing. You don't do it. You don't decide, I'm going to be saved today. Let's be saved yet. Okay? Um, We don't study to the point that we can understand enough to be saved. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with understanding. We can know zero theology and be saved. <laughs> theology is helpful, but we don't have to know it. You don't have to pass a class. You don't have to do any, any of that stuff, okay? Um, think about the thief on the cross, right? Did he know anything? No. Did he even know Jesus was the Messiah? Maybe. Uh, that's unclear. All he said was, remember me in your kingdom. So he believed enough to know that Jesus was going to be the true king. And that's all he said is, please remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. So that guy was saved, and he knew nothing. He did no good works. He was, they, they use the word thief, but it means highwayman, like robber, pirate, guy who hides behind a rock and then beats people up, like in the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who beat up the, Samar- the, the, the Jew, right? Okay, so th- he's a bad guy, and he got saved right there on the cross, 100% from God, all grace, all faith, not of our own doing. This is not your undoing. It is a gift of God, period. It's all God. And again, (laughs) he hits it again. Just in case you're not getting it, it's not a result of works. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. No one can earn even 1% of our salvation. I'll get get to that. I'll get to that in a sec. Um, So it's a gift of God, not works, so that no one can boast. So it's 100% from God. Uh, nothing from us. Uh, yeah, we, we can talk about that. So, um, so then how do we get saved? Right? And why isn't everyone saved? Is a question. First Timothy 2.4, it says, God is willing that no one should perish, but that everyone come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved. Okay? First Timothy 4, uh, 2 verse 4. And it's elsewhere as well. So if God wants everyone to be saved, and if salvation comes from God, 100% from God, then how come everyone isn't saved? Because they don't believe. Deception. Okay? Um, those are good answers. Like given the free will and free choice mm-hmm. to choose him or not choose him. To choose him or not choose him. Yep. I think all of those are good answers. Luther would say they were all heresy, 
but he was really firm on this point, and I understand why he was. Because he wanted to make sure there was no work at all we could do, including choice. He would say choice was a work. I don't know that I go that far, because some of it is semantics, right? Here's the way I look at it. The king of kings stands before you. You either bow the knee or you don't. Is bowing the knee a choice? Kind of. I mean, if you want to call it a choice, fine, but it's not a work. Because it can't be a work. (laughs) Because we're not saved by works, right? It's a yielding. That's how I think it's a yielding. It's a surrender. Now, is a surrender a work? No. Is it a choice? Maybe. Um, it, depending on what you want to call it. I mean, I think there, free will is involved in that. It has to be. Because for love to be genuine, there has to be free will. Otherwise, we're robots, right? Um, so I think there is a component of free will there, but, but not to the point where we can make it happen. Right? So it's not us choosing God. God chose us, and we said okay. Right? And it's important that we make that distinction. Um, to understand when we talk to people who aren't yet saved, um, where they're at. Because sometimes I have in the past focused too much on trying to get people to understand things and trying to get people to agree to something and maybe even sneakily get them to pray a prayer. And obviously that's silly, right? Um, They can't accidentally become a Christian in the sense of like, oh, I prayed a prayer. Darn, now I'm a Christian. Too bad. I hate Jesus. Um, It doesn't work that way. Um, but it's not as much about getting them to understand something as it is getting them to yield themselves. Because when you let your own walls down, you, you can see God for who he is. When that stronghold separates, or whatever metaphor you want to use, you know, it says people who are unsaved are deceived. They're blind. They can't see the truth. When you're blind, you can't see. That's the main problem with blindness. And so people who are not saved can't see God. And so we can pray and we can share and we can love them to the point where those blinders start to separate just enough that they can see God for who he is and get down on their knees and be like, okay. Yeah. I I just want to interject here because I came to the Lord as an adult. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, yes, Jesus, you are real, and I believe. I started in Matthew. By the time I got to John, I was saved. And so I know, you know, the the progression. Mm -hmm. Right. Yield, accept, and then revelation. Yep. Well, and for someone who can't remember a specific day, because I'm Mm -hmm. a Christian home, very Bible-based, very Luther-based. Yep, Um, me too. Mm-hmm. willing to bow the knee. I love your reference of bow the knee. Because that's what it becomes. And, you know, I remember the little image at Bible camp of, you know, who's sitting on the throne? Is he just in your life or is he on the yep. throne? And do we really take credit for allowing him to be on the throne? <laughs> Not really. He's already there. <laughs> I don't think that's such a big work on my yeah. place. I think it's finally acknowledging he's been there all along. I'm finally going to give up Yeah. That's good. Uh, another way to look at it, um, and I've used this one before, um, in, in the sense of receiving, 
the Lord, right? Because God offers salvation to everybody. That's clear from scripture. Jesus died once for all, for all of creation. So the price is already paid for literally all of creation, every human for all time, the land, the animals. All of the price has already been paid. The atonement covered everything once and for all, okay? Jesus doesn't have to die again or like partially die if you screw up tomorrow. Like you screwing up tomorrow doesn't mess up the whole blood of Jesus on your life thing. Because if your sin could get rid of the blood of Jesus on your life, then the cross was pretty worthless. Because the point is the cross trumps your sin. I hate that you can't use the word trump anymore. Um, the, <laughs> the cross conquers your sin, right? That's the point. Um, another way to look at it is um, uh, on Friday, the new iPhone comes out, which I'm sure you're all very excited about. Um, I am excited about it, actually. Um, and so let's say... Hey, I got, I, got a, I got a shipment of iPhones. I have a new iPhone 10 for every single person here. And you all clap like it's Oprah. And I've got a stack up here of new iPhones. And I say, it's yours. It's bought and it's paid for. All you have to do is come get it at the end of the service. And you got an iPhone. And so hopefully most of you would come get an iPhone. But if a couple of you just left and went out the back, you'd walk out without your phone. It's your phone. I paid for it. I gave it to you, but you don't possess it. Because you didn't receive it. Right? And I think Jesus walks and hands salvation to everybody, and most of us take it. Most of us bow the knee. Most of us receive that. That's not a work. There's free will involved. Um, but some don't, and that's sad for me. It's sad that some don't, that some say nope. And s- sometimes it's because they're deceived, and it's our job to help get them over that. Fight it out. Ready? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I just had some revelation how <coughs> uh, we started the service today talking about the people around us who are either burdened or in bondage or not, not knowing the Lord. So many are like that, even in, among evangelicals. They're like, like people who are caught up in, in religion and Catholicism apart from Jesus, but Orthodoxy. Tim Bentley sent me a picture of a Bible study. It was at in Chicago, a Bible study. Right. The priest didn't say that, but he feels that that's not going to church when you have to do that. Right. But he wants to have a good time. So anyway, and, and, and even though it's not the same, there needs to be more of a reformation with women. Because, but we can't, if someone thinks that women can't be involved at all in actual discipleship, that doesn't mean they're not our brothers. Even though that right. issue is not yep. salvation. Right. But there's a lot of disunity. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And there's, you know, there's a lot of disagreement, <laughs> you know, among the church. And, and I, I hope that we can set a lot of that aside for the sake of unity. Um, and Martin Luther probably would have liked to do that. But because salvation was the main issue that they got wrong, that's why he's like, that's the line, man. We can't, we can't mess up how you're saved because that's what it's all about. Um, Steve, you had something? Well, my thought was that, that because the Bible says that Jesus was despised and rejected, and that, so the, the implication is that the, the reverse is true. I mean, if he can be rejected, then he must have to be accepted. 
Uh -huh. It's all, it sounds like the worst is almost like if you want to cut yourself out of salvation, you reject them. Uh -huh. that's I, a, I mean, that's, a, that's an action verb, you know. I mean, you're, it's not a passive rejecting. Turning around and walking out of the courtroom is harder than bowing the knee. Yeah, I think that's true. See you. God bless your, your time out there. Um, you may ask a question. Now, I heard this, so you know how it is when you hear this. False. Um, <laughs> Just guessing. I, um, was Luther's two big issues, I know he, a lot of them were, had to do with indulgences. I know mm -hmm. a whole bunch of them had to. But as far as this, we would maybe care more about at this present moment in time. Um, Holy Spirit was not the vicar of the church, but the Pope was the incarnate Christ on earth. Right. Wasn't that another big, huge line that he drew? Yes. Well, he had, he had a huge problem with the whole priesthood, but that was one of the major ones. Because what Jesus sets up is that he sends the Holy Spirit to, to lead the church. Christ is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit is, you could say, the vicar of Christ. He's here in place of Jesus, we follow the Holy Spirit. He leads the church, and then people, pastors, whatever you want to call them, leaders in the church, they govern, they rule the kingdom of God here on earth, but under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the, the church eventually threw that out and said, we don't need the bird, we've got the Pope, and the Pope is basically reincarnate Jesus. They didn't say that, nor did they believe it, but it was pretty much true. Um, and whatever he said was equally important to Scripture, Right. The vicar of Christ. The vicar of Christ. Yeah. Vicar of Christ. yeah. But <clears throat> it is, but it, in, in, in his understanding of it, I, I don't think. <clears throat> I, I, know what, I know what they say when they mean that. I mean, I'm a pastor of Christ, too. Vicar is another word for shepherd. You know, so I am also the shepherd of Christ. I'm not the one. And when the Pope says it, he means the, period. And that's what I, one of, the, one of the several things I disagree with the Catholic Church about. Um, but Luther much more so, because back then it was like, no, I'm Jesus. You do what I, you do what I say or you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Um, that's why everybody paid the money. <clears throat> because there was Jesus. Well, and the other huge thing is the Bible. Yeah, out of fear. Yeah. The Bible was not in the Bible. Yeah. Most people could not read, and the Catholic Church outlawed the Catholic Church outlawed translations of the Bible. You couldn't have the Bible in any language but Latin, which nobody spoke at that point. Yep, which is why you know part of God's timing with the Reformation was to merge Martin Luther with Johann von Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, because Gutenberg was a very early convert to Lutheranism. And so he put the Bible into German, Luther translated it, but he then put the Bible in a printing press, and all of a sudden, all these Germans have the Bible. And people could read the Bible for the first time in their own language, the first time since Latin had gone out of fashion, you know, over a thousand years before that. Which took away control, which is why the church was so against it. If they read this on their own, we're going to have nothing but problems. Nothing but problems. Which is why... Historians credit Luther as the founder of modern democracy. Democracy. Because by forcing all the authority onto the people and onto the congregation and taking it away from the elite, um, that really paved a way for democracy to take hold in Europe and eventually America as well. Um, so we could continue this. Uh, um, I, I want to leave you with a couple things. One Think about, as, as this week we celebrate the Reformation, think about how we're doing now, 500 years later. Have we de-evolved again back into a mostly a list of do's and don'ts? Don't have to get negative, just think about it. Think about your own life. Is Christianity for me about what I do and don't do? Am I still trying to earn God through good works? Am I still trying to earn his love, maybe? Maybe not salvation, but maybe I'm still trying to earn his love by doing good things. Or maybe I'm still trying to earn his favor by doing good things. 
Because just as grace is a free gift through the cross, so is God's love and so is God's favor. We don't earn that stuff. That stuff is ours that we can walk in all the time. Um, and I also want you to think about this, the, the last verse that we didn't get to, um, Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is a made-up word that Bible translators made up because there's no word for this in English. It's a terrible choice because no one uses the word workmanship because it's not a word. Um, we are God's workmanship. In Greek, it's poema. Handy works a little bit better because that's a word people actually use in human society. Um, well, the, the, the literal word is poema. That's the word in Greek that, that it says here, poema which is what we get poem from. We are God's poem, which artistic people find thrilling because that sounds awesome, right? We are God's poem. But I think the way it should be translated is we are God's work of art. Because that's, I think, literally what it means. We are God's crafted, worked on, sweat and tears piece of art. And he has worked hard on us. In other words, we are a good work. Because that's his point here. We are a good work by God, created to do good works ourselves, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And so we are not saved by good works. We are a good work. We're God's good work. God did a good work when he made us, when he remade us as Christians during that recreation. We are God's good work. Does anyone have a New Living Translation by chance? The verse in that says, we are God's masterpiece which I like, because that's work of art, but it's even better. It's like, we're God's masterpiece. And theologically, that's very accurate in Scripture. Christians, us, we are the best things God's ever done. And occasionally I'm like, that's a little pathetic, because you know I'm not that great. But that's my problem. But that's me thinking too negatively. And that's me thinking about old Nate, and not thinking about the Nate that's been recreated in Christ, who is God's masterpiece. Thank you very much. Well, if you're going to appraise this house, you would appraise it as is. They'd come in and appraise it. Now, if you're doing an extensive remodel or a new construction, something that's under construction, they would take the list of, well, here's what's going to be put in. Here's the cabinets, here's the this and this and this and this and this. And uh, at, we're going to look at it as if all that work was done. And so we're, now we're going to appraise it at 350000 Even though when you look at it, you're walking through this work in progress and it looks like, eh, what? And so I think God always, that always cracked me up because I always thought, yeah, God appraises us subject to, mm -hmm. you know, subject to Christ's completion because he says he'll, he's doing a good work, he'll be faithful to complete it. Mm -hmm. And so when he looks at us, he's already seeing the finished product yep. and, and seeing it subject to completion. So it just helps me right. out. He sees us in Christ, and he doesn't see our sin anymore. Yeah. He separates it from the east, as far as the east is from the rest. He forgets it. He has this amazing divine ability to take the knowledge of our sin and to throw it away and literally not remember. And so when God comes to us and says, I have great things in store for you, I have good works that I prepared for you, beforehand for you to do, and we say, oh, I can't. I'm too sinful. I've screwed up too much. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. We make up all these excuses, and we, I'm too sinful, I can't do it. And he looks at us, and he's like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember any of that. I see Jesus. I see someone holy and blameless and loved, and I see a masterpiece that I worked pretty darn hard to make. And so I want you to live like that. Um, so think about that over this next week. What does it mean to be God's poema? What does it mean to be his masterpiece? Do you think of yourself that way? Because you should, because the Bible says that's who you are. Graham Cook did a paradigm shift for me. I'd never heard it taught this way before. He said, God is not concerned about any of your negatives. He's already dealt with them. They were all paid for. And if they have he's committed to your holiness and your righteousness. But when he looks at you, he's not talking about your temper or your failureness or your that. He's talking about your peace. 
Yeah. Yep. So we could do the same thing. I command this body to come and be healed. Mm-hmm. Because that's the key to healthy bones. And as I did with my three to five year olds that preschool this week, I said, oh, <coughs> Lord, is that day today? Did you believe? You know, it's the, you know, you do that, I guarantee you take a deep breath and sigh with a smile, you're gonna have faith. And so you start practicing it and walking it out. It's living, it's real, but we have Yep. He did. Amen. So let's let's think about that this week, and let's ask the Lord to give us a new revelation of what it means to be His masterpiece, and to help us to believe that and to walk in that way in our life more than we do now. And let's obviously continue to celebrate that we are saved by grace, and that it's not anything of our own. Thank God. Otherwise, we'd all be in big trouble. Uh, Let's pray quick. Thank you, Lord, for your cross. Thank you, Lord, for Martin Luther and the other great people of our past who have helped shape, reshape, reform, chastise um, so that we can walk in greater freedom in you. I thank you so much that I was born in an age where I can read the Bible in my own language. And when I can come to you and pray, People didn't even pray back then. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I thank you so much. And I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to take all of the many blessings I have for granted when the majority of the church throughout history has not had the incredible advantages that I have, that we have. And so help me to be more thankful and more grateful for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.